Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. I think sometimes what's happened in the church is that we're um, 20, 30 years behind. And so we end up taking on a voice of the culture that's behind us rather than being the voice that pulls the culture into the future. And I, I'm so convinced that um, because the church has been growingly ineffective in the world, we don't, we're not really sure if the gospel is relevant. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off, Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Josh. I'm Jimmy, and uh, Paradox, we're excited today. Yeah, we are so excited to have Erwin McManus. Erwin, thank you for being on the show. Man, I am so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Erwin is a pastor at Mosaic. He is an author. He's also been described as an iconoclast as well as a futurist, and he has an extremely important— By the way, really quickly. Yeah. Erwin, I'm going to add iconoclast to my business card. (laughs) I think that's one of the great unused words. (laughs) If you have a business card, you are not an iconoclast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, point taken. Exactly. Yeah, Jimmy, that's very telling of Jimmy's mindset. Um, He has a Mosaic conference coming up here in a few weeks from when this episode drops. And I really kind of hate to even call it a conference. It sounds more like a movement. Tell us about that conference. Uh, Yeah, thanks. It's here in Los Angeles, uh, September 22nd to 24th. We haven't really hosted a conference at Mosaic in probably over 10 years. And part of the reason we wanted to do that is we've had a great opportunity to be involved in things all over the world. And I think what happens many times is that Mosaic is is kind of known for being really very pioneering, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, kind of future-oriented and experimental. And then you had these amazing um, other expressions of faith like uh, Hillsong and Willow Creek and Saddleback and North Point and uh, you, you know, you have these incredible um, places, and what oftentimes happens is people see us as in conflict with what's happening in the mainstream, and we felt it's really important for us to create an event where we bring voices who are both considered in the mainstream and then um, like our voices that are a little bit more on the, the far edge of faith and to say, no, we need to move forward together into the future. And so we want to invest into the broader church. So we know we're going to have a lot of like pioneers and entrepreneurs and inventors and artists and dreamers and, and risk takers. But we also hope we have a lot of people who say we're really committed to the future of the church. We understand what's happening in the world. And we, we want to be able to move even our churches who may, may be a little bit more mainstream into the future, into relevance and really effectiveness. In your letter describing the conference, uh, you said that the church needs to find her voice. Can you explain that? Yeah, I think one of the big challenges, if you've ever been around people who um, they always dress like the people they want to be like, but they're not really like those people, you know, and uh, they just don't look right in the clothes. And I think sometimes what's happened in the church is that we're um, 20, 30 years behind. And so we end up taking on a voice of the culture that's behind us rather than being the voice that pulls the culture into the future. And I'm so convinced that, that because the church has been 
growingly ineffective in the world. We don't, we're not really sure if the gospel is relevant. We're not really sure if we can teach the scriptures and people will be drawn to it. And I'm mm-hmm. absolutely convinced that the gospel is so relevant and the scriptures can be unwrapped in a way that people are drawn to God. I just want to help the church find her voice teaching uh, that the truth that God has given us in a way that draws the world uh, to Jesus. And you also mentioned that the conference, you really want to speak into the culture and reach the unreachable. Tell us about your heart for reaching the unreachable. Well, I, I guess the most practical expression of that would be a year ago, Easter, we did a survey. Uh, I mean, we're on Hollywood Boulevard in La Brea, what people would consider, you know, the, uh, the dark zone of American culture. And we did a survey, and I asked, how many of you here are atheists? But you would say, I'm an atheist, but if God were out there, I'd, I'd want him to find me. And we had over a thousand people say, I'm an atheist, but if God were out there, I want him to find me. That doesn't include atheists who are not interested. I think one of the unique things about Mosaic is that we've really found a way to engage the culture, to get people connected. Uh, our, our, our Sundays and Wednesdays and our gatherings are filled with atheists and Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and, uh, and who stay with us for months and months, sometimes even years, processing faith and then coming to a beautiful faith in Jesus. And I just love to see the church become incredibly powerful in affecting culture that way. So how has kind of the traditional church then failed to, to, to kind of do that, to reach the unreachable? Well, that's what we're going to talk about at the conference. But one thing I would say very quickly is we take our best young communicators and we teach them how to be really effective talking to Christians. <laughs> and so they develop yes. the skills of working with Christians and then they actually don't develop those same gifts that God's given them to know how to speak to humanity. And I'm not even talking about just talking to a uh, person who doesn't have faith or an unbeliever or a seeker. There is a difference between speaking in-house to the church and speaking to humanity and talking to the universal truths that affect us all. Very nice. Isn't that the truth, though? Yeah, you know, when I speak at conferences, I know if I say certain phrases, everybody's going to cheer. Yes. And, and it becomes almost like a... It's like a home team. In fact, the thing about like Rafael Nadal, I don't know if you like, like tennis, but he's so great, yes. you know, in the French Open. And I think he's like, his specialty is clay. When he moves off of clay, he's, he, he becomes more pedestrian, even though he's my favorite tennis player. And I think a lot of times what happens is the church is really good on its home court and then ah. becomes completely mm-hmm. ineffective once it, it goes to an away game. So how much of that, how much of that begins, not necessarily within the church, but within the home? Well, you know, it's challenging because as a parent, you want to protect your kids from the world. And then what you end up doing is making them irrelevant to the world and unprepared for the world, because once the world hits them, they're just sucked right in. I mean, we raised our kids here in the heart of Los Angeles. We raised our kids uh, where they were predominantly around people who didn't believe in Jesus, who thought Christianity was a farce, who uh, lived really pretty uh, broken lives. And both my kids are passionate followers of Christ. They're both um, involved in ministry. And I think sometimes what we've done is we've protected our kids, and we didn't develop the muscles to actually make them leaders in that new world. Very nice. I also love, you, you mentioned uh, the men of Issachar, uh, that they understood the times and knew what to do in referencing to the Mosaic Conference that's coming up. What would you say that we as believers need to understand about these times so that we'll know what to do? Yeah, I feel like that's a part of our stewardship. If you want to grow a church fast, move to an area where you can find a high population of Christians and create the right kind of music and the right kind of preaching and the right kind of environment 
and you're going to draw Christians like crazy. And if you do it better than all the other churches, you will draw the most interesting people out of those churches. And frankly, I think that's a dominant strategy in America right. for growth. Yep. And it doesn't help the other churches. It doesn't help really in the end the kingdom. And what's really important what, about the men of Issachar is they understood the times and they knew what to do. We, we need leaders and thinkers. We need businessmen, not just pastors. We need entrepreneurs and we need teachers and um, entrepreneurs who understand the time which they live and know how to effectively reach this particular culture. And, and that's, I think, our stewardship. That's why we're doing the conference. That's why our theme is called A Voice in the Wilderness. Uh, we're not trying to move people to do the same thing and do the same thing better. We're trying to open up the, really the thinking and the imagination and the faith of the church so that we can effectively engage a world that most of us uh, feel incredibly uncomfortable in. You have referenced your church mosaic as the R&D department for the church. I love that. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, I, I, I think uh, in an unfortunate way, it's actually really, really true. And uh, we've been that for over 25 years. When I came to L.A., I, I just made a decision. I want to uh, move our community into high innovation, high risk, high faith. Because I've been uh, to churches all over the country, all over the world, where they don't really have the luxury or opportunity to really experiment and take risks to figure out how to reach their cities, how to reach their areas, because they have a lot of really established Christians or leaders are very established. The money is held by people who are very traditional and very low risk. And we thought if we could take these big risks, if we could experiment and discover what the church needs to do, needs to step into for the future, we can mitigate that risk and make it available to the rest of the church so that they can have the same effect of the okay. risk we took without the consequence of it. If a normal church member was just happened to find themselves down on La Brea in Hollywood on a Sunday morning, I guess just having woke up in the gutter from a night out on the town, would they walk into Mosaic and feel comfortable? Would you want just a church-going Christian? I don't know. What would that experience be for this from First Baptist Church, Lawakey, walks into Mosaic? What do you think their experience would be? Well, ironically, over the years, one of our great challenges is, is when a, a really solid uh, you know, Christian comes into Mosaic, they usually feel a little disoriented. And, um, and, and when a person who's without faith comes in, um, they're disoriented as well, but for different reasons. Uh, and I just, in fact, I just met some people this past Sunday. One of them is, uh, you know, kind of a really successful musician. And he said, man, I could do this once a year. It, you know, it was like, which <laughs> was for him a huge compliment. Like, you know, great, he, yeah. he expected to hate it. Uh, but he goes, but you had me sobbing like a baby by the end of the, this experience. I don't know what happened to me. You guys wrecked me, and I love That's that. Great. Sometimes what happens for a believer isn't that our—I mean, our music is so passionate worship. Our teaching comes right out of the Scriptures. A lot of times a Christian isn't sure why they're disoriented, and I'll tell you why. It's because they're not used to going to church and being around so many people who don't have faith yet. Hmm. And, and you're, 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 it's almost like you get this intuitive connection when you're around a lot of Christians. You know you're around people who believe with you. And the moment you're in a place where you feel like, I'm in like a, uh, a mall of beliefs. It's a little disorienting. It's also really young, by the way. The average age of Mosaic is like 26. Oh, you know, wow. We have thousands and thousands of, of young artists and creatives and entrepreneurs and writers. And so it's a really interestingly uh, artistic and creative and imaginative space, which I think is electric. I, last uh, Saturday, I had breakfast with our senior adults 
the people in, our, in their 80s and 90s. And they're the ones that have been with me since the beginning. They've been with me for 25 years. Mm. And it's funny. We lost a lot of the 40-year-olds. We lost a lot of the 50-year-olds. But we didn't lose the 90-year-olds. And you know why? <laughs> because they knew the traditional church lost their children. Uh, and so they committed to creating a church that would reach their grandchildren. You know, you mentioned the disorientation that takes place uh, for both unbelievers as well as believers. I would assume that's kind of part of the point, right? Like, that's part of your heart. Explain to me why that disorientation is such a good thing. Well, I think it's because um, it's a difference between eating at a food court and eating at a chef's table. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched the, the series Chef's Table or if you've ever had the opportunity to eat in a restaurant with like a world-class chef. But when you're eating at a, at a world-class restaurant, you don't know what something's going to taste like. You, you, you're surprised by the experience. Uh, there's some chefs who actually take tomatoes and actually make them look like strawberries and strawberries make them look like tomatoes so that when you have a, a visceral experience, your senses don't even know how to um, process that. And it actually creates a more beautiful um, um, visceral um, sure. explosion in your soul. When you eat at the food court, you know exactly what you're going to eat. McDonald's, you know exactly what it's going to taste like. It's generic everywhere in the world. Unfortunately, the church has become more like McDonald's, where we serve processed food all over the world. You know, you go to a Baptist church, you know what you're going to get every time. You go to a Methodist church, you know what you're going to get. You go to a Pentecostal, Presbyterian, you know exactly what you're going to get. And a lot of people, they just want the food court experience. And Mosaic is actually committed to being more of a chef's table, creating something that's unique and beautiful, something that actually surprises the senses and connects people to a life-giving God. Incredibly insightful. And actually, my wife, I eat at a world-class restaurant every evening. My wife is listening, so. Very nice. Babe. Very yeah, good. Fantastic when chef. Beth cooks, same deal. I have no idea what I'm getting. <clears throat> Whether it's got fuzz on it because it's been in the fridge for four months. Um, you know, when you talk about, I don't, I don't want to cheapen what Mosaic is doing by calling it seeker-sensitive. But those people that say, hey, we want to have our doors open for the unchurched and we want to be attractive to that audience, well, part of that, they tend to then water down what they're saying because they don't want to be offensive and make any of these people leave. And yet you, you say that you guys are preaching straight out of Scripture. Yeah, what I would say is that um, most Christian churches are what I would call Christian-sensitive, and, uh, and they criticize churches that are seeker-sensitive, which is not who we are. But I would rather have a church be seeker-sensitive than Christian-sensitive. I find that traditional churches preach everything Christians already believe and never disrupt their lives. And I, I find that to be equally as disturbing because it's superficial and it doesn't change a person's life. I, I keep meeting Christians who go, uh, where do I go get discipled? I go, how long have you been a Christian? They go, 20 years. I go, I can't help you, man. You're like a factory defect. If you, know, <laughs> if you haven't, and if you still need to be discipled 20 years later, you should be discipling people. Yeah. And frankly, I think the traditional American church has left people anemic and immature, and um, we need to get rid of Christian-sensitive churches as much as they want to get rid of seeker-sensitive churches. Our church is incredibly intense. It's very passionate. It's very focused. We speak into the real issues of life. It's disrupting and disturbing to everyone. You also said that the future awaits those with the courage to create it. If you were yeah. speaking to, and so much of our audience is, um, you know, young families with young kids, um, what would you say to those young believing parents as they look at this culture and they look at our future? 
Um, what would you say is they're going to need to create that future in a positive way for Christ? Uh, well, let me respond in several different ways. One, um, don't feel overwhelmed because the children of the first century Christians grew up in Rome, and they did just fine. <laughs> and, uh, they, they turned Rome upside down, and that, that motley crew of Christians who were uneducated and had no power and no position and no wealth and no moral majority, they turned the world upside down. So um, don't let everyone who's so pessimistic and negative um, overwhelm you. Um, your children have everything they need to make the world a better place. Greater is he that is in them and then he that is in the world. And I am incredibly optimistic, and I think it's really sad when Christians are the most pessimistic people in the world. And uh, um, So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is it's important to realize that you are a part of the creative process. I, 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 modern Christianity has been so influenced by um, John Stuart Mill's and, um, and really the Industrial Revolution that we've been really passive about our view of creating the future. And so we just, oh, whatever God wants to happen is going to happen. But you don't raise your kids like that. You tell them to eat your vegetables because you're going to be stronger when you grow up. Do your homework, you know, because you want to go to college. As parents, we understand that if we teach our children good, to make good choices, it creates a different future for them. We need to keep that same mindset as adults. But we've become so passive going, well, I really have no control over tomorrow. I have no control of the future. And and, and I, I feel like we've become so anemic because we don't realize that God has given us this creative power of making choices. And so I just try to remind people, the choices you make today create the future that you'll have tomorrow. And uh, because the, the shape of your, your character is the shape of your, of your choices, and, and your character actually defines your choices. So work on your kid's character, and then they'll make the right choices. And when they make the right choices, they will be positioned for the best future. And what I also love to remind people is even when we make bad choices, God is making good choices for us. And so, you know, he has an amazing way of fixing the mistakes we make and creating a better world, a better future. So I'm incredibly hopeful. And, uh, and I just always think that the light is more powerful than the darkness. And everyone's always saying the sky is falling, but we need to mm -hmm. stop being chicken little. And we need to start really having deep faith in the God who, um, who's for us. Tell us about The Artisan Soul. It was a book that you, I think, published in 14, correct? Uh, yes, that's right. It's my newest book. Yeah. So tell us about The Artisan Soul, um, and I'm assuming they can pick, them up, pick it up in Amazon.com and other Barnes & Nobles. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I stopped writing for about six years. I actually went, uh, I had, I had a, uh, my own company. I worked as a filmmaker and a fashion designer and had a tech company. And it was during the recession, and we had to lay off so many people at, at the church, and uh, people were leaving everywhere and just really suffering. So I thought one of the things I could do was start a company and employ people. And, and so that's a part of what I did. And so I stopped writing books. But when I came back, I, I really realized that when I was in the fashion industry and working on design and clothes and bags and uh, you know, working in the film industry and working on, on you know, visual beauty – how really the most important work of art is the life that we live. And if people could begin to see themselves the way that God sees them, that they're both a work of art and an artist at work. Probably the biggest mistake I made with the book was I, I titled it The Artisan Soul. And so people think it's only for artists, but it's actually for everyone who thinks they're not an artist. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, because it's one of those things that where you go, if, how you see yourself affects how you live your life. 
if you if you don't see yourself as an athlete, you you're going to get uh, you're going to end up in bad shape. You're going to end up unhealthy. You know, I I just turned 58 this weekend, and you know I still play basketball for two hours and I still work out. And I still run and and uh, and I can uh, you know I can I can still take a 28 year old uh, you know to the hoop when I'm playing one on one. And a part of it is in my mind going, hey, just because I'm not an Olympian doesn't doesn't mean I'm not an athlete. Sure. And because being athletic is part of my health. Just because you're not Picasso doesn't mean you're not an artist. And your artistry may be in the way you, you live out your marriage. Your artistry can be the way you raise your kids. Your artistry can be the way you do your job as a teacher or as an architect or as a plumber or an engineer. But if you saw your life as a work of art and you realize that your life is supposed to be your greatest masterpiece, it would change everything about the way you lived your life. And so I, I really, um, I'm really convinced the message of the artist and soul uh, is the most important message I've ever written or ever shared, because it's an anthropology. It's, it's really a biblical unwrapping of what it means to be human. Guys, if these, if these words, if this message connects with you, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is push the back button on your phone and re-listen to this. I think it's going to take me 10 times to listen to this to mine all the truths. Um, but you can also listen to more of Irwin at Mosaic Podcast. Um, please, please, please visit mosaicconference.com. And if you can at all make it on your website, it says mount your horse. Uh, if you <laughs> in Texas, they might have some horses. Exactly. So mount them and make your way to LA. You can also find more about Irwin at mosaic.org, uh, as well as irwinmcmanus.com. And you can find them on Twitter and Instagram at Irwin McManus. Irwin, thank you so much. And if you're ever in Austin, Enchiladas y mas is on me. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> hey, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. All right, God bless. I love him. Good Lord. I want to be with him all the time. <laughs> I would be an artist, astronaut, policeman. I'd be anything in the world. <laughs> if you could just hang out just with Just hang out with Irvin. I, uh, seriously, though... All of what he said was something that uh, had a tremendous amount of depth and truth, and I, I think it's going to take me a hundred times to listen to this episode to actually. I want to point out that here are people that shaped my life: Irwin McManus, Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter, <laughs> and I don't think that's that's a coincidence. No, rest in There's peace. Something about the Irwins. Only see, we were having such a good show, and you bring in the crocodile hunter. May he rest in peace. It's very strange. Christian-sensitive churches. <laughs> he got on a roll when he put on his iconoclast hat. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> what was it? Most of our churches preach what Christians already believe. Yeah, this cookie cutter. Well, not cookie. He, um, the, uh, he used the uh, uh, mall... Um, food, food court. court food court reference was incredible. We want to walk in and have the same thing the same way. Oh, that's good. Which leaves us, he said, weak and anemic. Hmm. Um, he said, I loved it when he was talking about young families. Uh, we, we do almost have a fat, fatalistic view that, hey, you know, whatever will be, will be. But, he said, but we don't do that with our kids. We get them to brush their teeth and eat vegetables because we're trying to impact their future. 
Guys. Uh, I loved when he said um, that a lot of, and this was at the very beginning of the episode, that a lot of folks are afraid that the gospel won't attract people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to have Todd Phillips here on in a, in a few weeks, and he spoke to that as well, that we almost take too much responsibility for sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can't do it in such a way that people will actually respond to it positively, then I don't do it at all. Right. But our job isn't to how they respond. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is just to throw it out there. The Holy Spirit will give you at that time what you are to say. Guys, definitely check out Irwin. Um, he has uh, some fantastic things to we say. We call him Irwin now. We just, yeah. hey, Ur. That's short for Irwin. Just, yo, Ur. Uh, not only about the present, but the future. He has incredible insights. So check more about Irwin McManus. You can also find more about the show. Not only, so every show we do show notes where anything that was talked about, we reference it, we put a link. So definitely check us out at paradoxpodcast.com. Sign up for our email listserv. You can find the show at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's Doc's Podcast. You can find me, Josh, at those three platforms. It's Doc Josh Meyer. On Facebook, Dr. Jimmy Myers. And on Twitter and Instagram, at J Myers fam. Guys, have a great day. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. Special thanks to Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas, and our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Gar. To find out more about the Paradox and to sign up for email updates, go to our website, paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. The situation required me to stand behind my wife even if I thought this was a stupid battle to pick, even if I thought it was, it was, it would have gone above and beyond what we should have done if she would have spanked her, which she didn't. I need to stand, even if she would have spanked her, stand behind Katie and say, I'm behind you 100%, and Ruth, you deserve that.